Well, this morning, what I would uh, love to do is share some news about some stuff that we're believing God for, and I want to share that in the context of talking about faith and trust. And I want to read a verse to you from James chapter 2, in verse 19, and James says this in chapter 2 and verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So I want to talk really about the difference between believing something and having faith about something. And I want to start with the definition that faith is an external response of obedience to what you believe and trust about Jesus. So I want to explore that belief is that internal conviction, I believe something. And then faith is an external action, activity in response to what you believe. And I believe both are necessary. You want to believe, and believing leads to action. And so, James is saying it's possible to believe something is true, but according to that definition, have no faith. Mm. So he's saying that the demons actually believe. The demons actually have really, really correct doctrine. That they believe that God is one. They have a, an intellectual grasp, an understanding of the Trinity. They have, right, they have right beliefs. And their right beliefs actually cause them to shudder, tremble, quake, convulse, quaver in front of God. But have no faith-filled response of love towards God. So Paul says in Galatians that faith works through love. That faith manifests itself with an external response of action. Another way of saying it is that faith and activity go hand in glove. They fit together perfectly. James goes on to say later on in that same chapter that faith without works is like a body without the spirit. It's, it's dead. <coughs> so I want to talk about that. that there's believing and there's believing that leads to faith-filled action. So how we, how we journey in the Christian life is actually how we begun in it. That if you're a believer this morning, it's because you either heard good news about Jesus and his life, his death and his resurrection, and you heard someone, a friend, tell you. Most people hear because a friend tells them about Jesus. You might have heard good news. Um, you went to a, um, a big rally or a big J. John meeting. There was one last year in, in the Arsenal Stadium. You heard good news. Sometimes people hear good news, they put the God channel on, they hear good news. Sometimes people hear good news from 
direct from Jesus. They get a dream and then they have to find a believer to explain the dream to them unless there's more explanation in the dream. We start our Christian life by God working on us. He, he does something powerful in us. It can be described as when Jesus stood outside of Lazarus' tomb and Jesus said, come forth Lazarus, the word of God brought resurrection to a dead corpse. And then there's the funny moment when Lazarus waddles out in his grave clothes and someone has to unwrap him because he can hardly walk. That's what happened if you're a believer. You heard something. You heard good news. You heard that you were lost, but that God has found you. You heard that you were locked into your sins and then you heard about a saviour Jesus who died for you to set you free from your sins. You heard about someone who paid the price for you. You heard good news about eternity, about love, about God, about adoption, about reconciliation, about friendship, about forgiveness and a fresh start, new mind, new nature, being born again. You heard something. And then you were worked upon by God who gave you the gift of believing. You, you went from who are these crazy people who believe in God to being one of the crazy people. <laughs> because God met with you and gave you resurrection, new birth, new life, fresh start. <coughs> and we start our new life in Christ as this gift of believing, this gift of faith that causes us to respond to him in external action. Amen. Which is, is, that's that moment of repentance. I'm changing my mind about you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to give myself to you. And this moment of I'm believing and I've got this external response, it might have been you prayed a prayer. I remember for me, it was an encounter with Holy Spirit. I just knew he was real. Then a couple of weeks later, there was an opportunity. I, want, I needed to, I knew there was a need to respond to him too. He had initiated a friendship and I knew he was real. I'd encountered him in my room, listening to Yonggi Chirp, listening to a tape. But I now knew I needed to respond to him. There had to be this external response. And this gift of faith, raises us spiritually from the dead and connects us to God. Now to grow in faith, because we go in so many areas of our lives from weak faith to strong faith. There's probably different ones of us who've got different areas where we've got really strong faith, really strong response in going out to God. To grow in faith, it's really good to recognise, Pete Carter says, actually where we already have faith. So how many of you know, you just know because you know because you know that he has saved you. You have that assurance. Amen. Yeah? Amen. You've got that assurance. Amen. That's a radical supernatural work of a gift of the Holy Spirit to give you an assurance of faith based upon yes. the finished work of Christ. 
I just know because I know because I know. Amen. If you go back 300 years ago, people used to wrestle for assurance of faith. If you listen and read the diaries of Wesley and Whitfield, often these great revivalists would wrestle to know assurance. Do I know? Can I really know? Have I repented? Have I really been born again? So they would look ahead into 300 years and say, you have got great faith. You have assurance. How many of you say, Jesus is God? (laughs) Faith. You've got faith. And so as we talk about Faith is this, ex- this external moving towards God in action. It's great to recognise you have already got, got faith. And Jesus says you only need faith the size of a mustard seed to say to this mountain move. So we've already got mountain moving yeah. faith. Which is really good to know right at the outset. So we have assurance. We know that Jesus is God. We, we know that the gifts of the Spirit are real. We know that we can... You know, many of us know the gift of speaking in tongues. We've got an assurance that that gift is a spiritual gift. We've got faith that when I speak in tongues, when you speak in tongues, there's an edification, a building up of your body, your spirit, your connection to God, your experience of God. So what I want to say is, just like when we're born again, a, a huge aspect of walking in prophetic promises happens in very much the same way as when we first come to Christ. In other words, we're interacting face to face with God. And Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And so we're interacting with God and he speaks and he brings a revelation of purpose and direction and priorities. And he can do that suddenly out of nowhere. It can be... Um, you're in a meeting and there's someone with the, the gift of prophet can speak out and talk to you about who you are and where you're going and, it, and it's just an affirmation to you. You put that, ah, yeah, that's who I am. I know what you've called me to. Or it can be you're reading the Bible and a verse just out of nowhere just jumps out. Amen. Sometimes not even in context. You know, it's good to read the Bible in context but sometimes... He speaks out of something, he just arrests <coughs> your attention. Sometimes he's spoken to me in, in cinemas and watching movies, and he's suddenly got my attention about a priority. And so we get worked upon very much the same way that we got worked upon in salvation. He works upon us in our relationship, both individually and corporately. So it's like he gives us eyes to see or it's like he puts glasses on us and we see what's currently invisible we see possibilities that were previously invisible to us and we weren't even aware of that's what faith does that's what believing does and so when we receive a moment where he works upon us and we have a revelation or he lets us see the first stage I would say is to become personally fully convinced and persuaded you really mean that don't you God that I've really received a promise from you sometimes we receive a prophetic word and we leap straight to external action before we've become fully convinced and fully, fully persuaded and fully assured that we actually have a word from God. 
And then when we hit a wall or difficulty or challenge or unbelief or disappointment, we pull back and think, well, obviously it wasn't God. But I think if we start in this place, I need first to be fully persuaded. I've heard you, God. I need to weigh this. Think about this. Be assured of this. But then it mustn't stop at just believing. So, for example, Joshua is given a promise. Everywhere you step, I'll give you. You Meditate on the book of the law. Get this believing right. Get this assurance right. Think about it. Don't be frightened. Don't be discouraged. But everywhere you step, Joshua, I'm going to give you. If Joshua just remains in the place of believing, if he just remains in the place where people might say, Joshua, what do you believe? Well, I believe that God's going to give us every place where we step. People might be beginning to say, well, show me that you believe through your action, Joshua. Show me that you believe that you will have every place by some action. It couldn't just be an internal sense of, yes, I believe. It had to be worked out in practice. He had to go out and take it. And so we get a word, we get a prophetic word, maybe as a person, individual, or as a local church. We, we become fully persuaded, yes, God, this is what you're saying. And then we go on a journey of faith. And at the beginning of that journey, we might start off with really, 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 really weak faith. And that's okay. Because we gain ground to see our faith go from weak faith to strong faith through the process of obedient action. Because we trust him and we step out into it. Even if the stepping out looks tiny and like a baby step. Confidence, expectation, anticipation grow through stepping out and meeting God and finding God provide. Because faith is being assured of what you hope for and you don't see. (coughs) Sometimes we can find ourselves saying, I believe, I believe. Now bring me circumstances that will enable me to outwork and step into this. But faith steps out into the unknown without seeing purely on the basis that he said and that I'm assured and convinced and persuaded that he said it. So stepping out is going out to meet God. I'm going to step out and meet you and meet your provision and see what you might do as I step out and meet you. That's how faith makes what's currently invisible, visible. It's believing that gets expression. I love what Joaquin says, who used to lead the healing rooms in Bethel. He said that God is pleased when we simply say to a person who is sick, 
excuse me. What happened to you? What happened to your leg? Why are you in a leg boot? Why have you got bolts in your leg? Why are you limping? When we say excuse me, we are in that moment by faith making what is currently invisible, Jesus the healer, visible. In that moment, it's a moment of great faith. See, we can believe that Jesus is the healer, the provider, has all wisdom, is the saviour, but it becomes manifest in the faith-filled expression in response of what we believe is true. Excuse me, what happened to your leg? And one of the things I've grown in is not to jump from excuse me to can I just pray for your leg? Because I've because I wanted to get it over with so fast. <laughs> Terrified. I've said, excuse me, I just want to get this prayer bit over with so I can run off. <laughs> just to pause and say, what happened? And it's amazing how many people want to tell you the story of what happened. One guy says, I'm in my car on the motorway, but I hit while I was in my car and I've shattered my leg then you can say, I believe in Jesus, the healer. Can I pray for your leg? Can I pray for bones to mend? It happens in the moment of, excuse me. And even if they turn around and say, no thank you, they can look in your eyes and know you mean it. And I love what Joaquin says, they look in your eyes and they are in the presence of someone who believes that Jesus is the healer and can heal today, even if they turn around and say, no, thank you. So every day then becomes an opportunity to go from weak faith to stronger faith. And and, And God loves the process he takes us on in the same way we as parents love the process that a baby does that thing where they first are able to turn over you know, that moment they're on their back and they can they can somehow they turn themselves and you know well they're on the they're, they're, they're going to crawl and then there's other stages they, they can stand and hold themselves up and then they do that, that waddling and there's two or three steps we celebrate every single part of the process of this little person learning how to stand and do what mum and dad do wow I can do what mum and dad do I'm a biped too. <laughs> I love what Wendy Backland says, you know, if a child is unable to walk, they don't say, ah, oh, I just can't, I just haven't got the gift of walking. Mm-hmm. Or I've only had the gift of walking, but, oh, God's limited me. I'm a crueler. I'll never be able to walk. When she, when she says, no, actually, we look at our father and say, no, I'm, I'm being transformed to do what father does. Father raises the dead. Father speaks life to dead places. Hmm. Father speaks to dry bones and they come alive. Jesus went around and ignited hope and joy wherever he went. Oh, I'm growing up to be like Jesus. And right now it's like baby steps and I'm crawling. But Jesus doesn't say, oh, you should, you should be running by now. He says, oh, well done. You've got on your feet. That's two steps. And he celebrates a whole process. That prophetic promises come to us in like a seed form. They never come fully formed. They never come pre-packaged with everything. The promise 
comes to us in just a seed. And then we look after the seed and we steward it and we nurture it and we cultivate it and we're faithful with the little. They reckon it takes 10,000 hours to become proficient at anything. They reckon if you look at a person who can play the violin really great or do sports really great or paint really great, they've invested around 10,000 hours of investment in that one talent and skill to become maybe not even world class, but just become really, really proficient and getting better and better at it. And that the things that we really invest in are the things we often grow in. So, so we might receive a prophetic word about a whole number of things and we take it and say, I'm going to nurture that. I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to give my time and my money and my talents and my activities and my priorities are going to be towards cultivating that. So faith is this living thing that grows and expands and matures and goes from weak to strong. That's why Peter says, is it one Peter where he says, you know, even when our faith is tested, we're even joyful then because our test is, our faith is of greater worth than gold. Because we know there's always another level. There's always more. So as a local church, we carry, we carry some big, big promises about a lot of different things. And I want to focus just really briefly on just one promise that we've had pro- prophetically spoken over us individually or as, a, or as a body multiple times from multiple people. And this is a promise for favour in in. Asia, that favour with the Asian community, connection to Asian countries. One person said, I see you as a tree, and you're an eastern-facing tree. And the initial part of that was, yeah, we're connecting and working strongly with P. Carter, who is Eastgate. (laughs) But also, it's an eastern-facing tree. One person says, I see you surrounded by people from the east when we had moved here after being here just two weeks I had a dream in which there was a queue of people coming in Um, I think it was a whole group of Muslim men and women coming in and the building wasn't ready and in the dream I had to say sorry we weren't ready and that got us going on let's get the crush done let's get building works done it was a prophetic response to a seeing a queue of people who wanted to come in I personally, and actually Rochelle, we both were reading books about Chinese missionaries for, for, for years. We hadn't even met. We'd read every one of them we could find and gone to everything we could go to about China. Strangely, when I was 18, I used to dress as... I wanted to dress like someone from the Cultural Revolution in China. <laughs> so I had, the, I had the Mao Zedong, I had the hat... I used to, and special glasses. I wanted to look. I, I wanted to be Chinese. That was the, <laughs> that was the truth. And I, I wanted. My goal was to look as Chinese as I could. I wanted to walk around with a little red book. And not necessarily. I agree, agree with what the little red book's all about. But I wanted to be Chinese. It's good to be a bad Japan. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely love. If those of you know the group Japan, I think I 
caught that from the group Japan, their obsession with the East and dressing Asian. <laughs> yeah, they're from East London. I'm, I'm almost home. <laughs> so I had this love with Eastern culture and musicians and films. And so it's interesting how God speaks to you and speaks to us and speaks to community about the things we love. And it's an interesting community we're living in because in terms of this is the second biggest Nepalese community in the UK. I think the first is in Grantham, I believe. It's 6,000 Nepalese people that currently live in this, this area. And so God, I'm going to read out something in a moment, but God on, in, on many occasions has just arrested me with his voice. And the first time this happened was in 1995, and I was in France. And I went into France to do a mission team about English people um, helping French people reach their town. I'd gone there to make a video. And uh, I quickly fell in love with the pastor's daughter. And the video never got released because most of the video is really Rochelle. There's <laughs> Rochelle on the streets doing evangelism. There's Rochelle leading worship. There's a lot, lot. When I showed the footage to the people who I'm making the video, video for, there's a lot of Rochelle in this. <laughs> and uh, I was getting a lift at the end of the week from Rochelle's mum to the station. I was sat on the sofa. And, and I heard this voice. You'll be back on this sofa. Out of nowhere. That was a voice I knew. Oh, I learned to understand. You're going to do something for me. Yeah? It was suddenly arrest. You're going to be back on this sofa. Um, we were both in a meeting about churches in London. And we were leading a church in Essex. And somebody said, there are people called to lead existing churches to impact and transform their community. We both looked at each other and said, we're moving. It was a voice that came in that, that's, that was not, I'm going to do something for you. Now, I've changed the season. You're going to be doing something different. And that began a process of, we, we know we're moving. The voice has come, not to say there's a promise um, that I'm going to do for you, but here's something I want you to do. Um, two years ago, I was praying about dream, dreaming with God and dream culture and I was thinking, oh, I'd love to impact Europe with dreaming, that people could connect to their dreams and connect to a really good father who makes dreams possible, that, that nations could hear about the good father. And I said, how on earth do we do that? I don't know. So I was praying for about two months and then I heard a voice said, launch an app and release it. So that was a voice that comes in where, you, where it's a commanding voice. I'm not going to do this for you. You do it. You launch an app. You do it. So within a month, we've actually launched an app. And now we've got 900 people at least receiving the message each month. Whether they open it or not, you don't know. But, and 1,400 people who have now got that app. So we went from reaching 100 people to 1,400 people in two years. Because he spoke... And I thought, I know that voice. That's a voice of command and get on with it. And I'd been asking God for about uh, two years. Um, what specifically would you like us to do next here? What things are on your heart? And 
not really hearing anything um, very much at all. And then on January the 12th this year, I've had some time with God and that voice that I'd heard before over the last 20 years suddenly speaks after we've finished our time, actually. <laughs> he doesn't really care about fitting in with our little, <laughs> our little boxes. He likes to speak anytime, place. So after two years of kind of asking, on Friday, January the 12th, around 7 o'clock in the morning, Jesus said this. And why I gave you those stories is because I got used to the way he sounds when he speaks to me. Because it sounds like your voice, but it's got a tone of his voice, and it causes you to respond. And he said, very quickly, I want you to buy some land in Kathmandu. And I want you to build a school of supernatural life where the, where the converted men and women can be equipped to see whole villages transformed by kingdom, out, by kingdom impact. Now, one of the things with God is, 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 is when he speaks, you then go on a journey of relationship. Because one of the things you can easily do is start speculating. It's all right, what we're going to do is we're right now going to buy some land and we're going to do this. Well, the wisdom of God is there's probably multiple steps between something and an end result. And he doesn't really ever really work ABC. And he... Some, he, he does mix everything all around and say something here and then he does it there and you never really know exactly how he's going to get you to where you believe he's taking you. You just, in the end, have to walk with him. And so the, the goal then when you hear a prophetic word isn't to think, well, I'm now going to do this for you, God. And it's not to speculate how we're going to do it Amen. or even what it ultimately looks like. Because he just gets your attention. And most probably when he gets your attention like that, it probably could be something like that. Although we have no idea how you get to something like that. Prophecy in his voice is ultimately always an invitation to connect and to engage with him as a person. It's what it's all about. When he said to me, on this sofa you're going to come back. He wanted to engage with me as a father who says you are going to marry and this girl you are going to marry even though it didn't, it was, there was no possibility of that in that moment he wants to connect us to him prophecy and promises and words and verses that jump out are always an invitation to connect to the God of the impossible they're not just a job description and a task and instructions and orders he's not after just Slaves who now get on with it, or soldiers who now go and do it, or servants who now go and build it, although we're always servants, and we're always soldiers, and we're always co-workers. But we're friends who he wants to connect into a process of relationship where his wisdom comes to us to get to know him. That the more we get to know God, the greater our expectation and anticipation of him will become. So he gets our attention about what he wants to do. But then believing needs to move to faith-filled action. So interestingly, after that January the 12th moment, a lady walked into the building and just shouted, Anybody here? And she said, I've 
I'm working with a group of 50 Nepalese men and women doing an art club for them. Wow. Two or three weeks later, guy knocks on the door and says, can we rent the building to do stretch exercises for between 60 and 80 Nepalese Gurkha men and women? Interestingly, the first day they arrived, they were all queued outside the building to come in. And I thought, that's that dream. It wasn't actually, it wasn't Muslim men and women. I just, that's what I anticipated and expected. But actually it was a whole load of Gurkha men and women who were queuing to come in to do stretch exercising. So you, you see and you know in part. And, and John actually has been up to the Slade. There's a whole group of Nepalese men and women who are learning English as a second language. So there's these things that confirm John and Ekta had started a group in their house that had grown out of their house and gone into a room here and were then thinking, ah, oh, a step could be, let's do something on a Sunday afternoon, give a better space and to see how many people then can be connected one by one, person by person. So the belief is, wow, that January the 12th, that wasn't cheese and I wasn't tired. That was your voice. You've confirmed it. You mean it. Now we can take some steps. Yeah, we're renting to this group. And John and Hector are doing a great job with the family of, of creating a space on a Sunday afternoon. What else could we do right now? Yeah. We could do a Nepalese Sunday. We could create a space where we celebrate the nation of, of, of Nepal and celebrate um, that culture. And we could, we could do a mix of... Of, of singing in English and translation and declarations that are translated and, and, and speaking in Nepalese and translated. We could, we could do that <coughs> and we could begin to put a stake in the ground, a prophetic stake that just says, oh, we believe you, God, that you are leading us to partner with you to see something beautiful impact that city, that we're believing you for whole villages who are going to connect with intimacy and, and identity with you and whole groups of men and women who are going to be free of idols and free to connect with the love and goodness of the Father. And they are going to, in turn, come into their calling and destiny to transform maybe in a whole city of coming. And it starts as these baby steps. And heaven says, well done, John and Hector, for starting that group in your house. Well done for doing it 9 until 11 at night. Well done for taking your faith and, 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 and creating a space where people are working so hard, could only get there between 9 and 11 at night. You've invested. That. It's, it's always in a seed form. And now as a community, we say, ah, oh, let's do this on November the 4th, Nepalese yeah. Sunday, as a prophetic state. God, we're believing you for something there. We have no idea how we're going to get there. No idea, but we're going to take the next step, the next step, and let you take us by the hand and lead us there. See, faith in the nature of God is what ultimately liberates us from captivity to fear and captivity to disappointment and captivity to control and captivity to manipulation. Everything gets unlocked through trusting and believing. It's it's the thing when we trust him where we're in a meeting, we think, I don't have to defend myself. Amen. It can be the moment when you Amen. button your lip and don't say a word. That can be great faith Amen. because you believe in a God who vindicates and speaks on your behalf. So you, so you think, I don't even Amen. need to speak. 
because he's going to vindicate me. Sometimes it can be courageous and bold com- co- conversation where you say, I believe I know who I am. And so I'm going to speak about what I need. It can be silence, it can be speaking. It can be a whole range of things. So faith is an external, loving action made in response and obedience to what you believe and trust about Jesus. It's saying, I don't want it just to be a belief. I want to see it manifest as an action, as an activity, as an investment, as some steps. (coughs) Well, I'd 